Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Contractor Evolution. This is Benji. You know, it's funny. We've done almost 150 episodes of Contractor Evolution, and this is the first conversation we've had about the contract part. Today's conversation is with Kean Brennan. He's the founder and CEO of Quantum Contract Solutions, and it's all about how to dramatically reduce your risk by learning the game of contracts, and that's exactly what it is. It's a game. Today, we get into a few things. We talk about how to use the termination clause to set some boundaries with the GC and dictate the terms on which you can fire them. We talk about why contractors make the huge mistake of believing they can't negotiate their contracts in the first place. Guess what? You can and you should. And lastly, we talk about tweaking what's called the limit of liability to avoid those business-ending lawsuits. This conversation was super eye-opening, and it could save you some unimaginable headaches in the future. So let's dive in with Kean Brennan. You're listening to Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. If you're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Kian, it's good to see you, my friend. How are you? Very good, Benji. And you? I'm well. Thanks for coming on the show. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, I want to start here. I was cruising some of your stuff online, getting my getting my head around this conversation, doing some prep. And one of the things that, that jumped out in one of your videos is you kind of started this whole journey uh, around contracts on the other side of the equation. I think mm. negotiating for the people that we're, we're, now, uh, we're now negotiating against. So maybe you want to just, just tell the listeners a little bit about your story, how you came to be obsessed with the contract part of contracting and just the path that led you here. Yeah, sure. So um, years and years ago, um, Back in Ireland, um, I was born in the west of Ireland. Um, my grandfather owned um, a construction company, uh, a general contracting business. And I've actually got a really cool business card from like 1947 that says James Brennan Contracting. And um, when he died, actually, there was a great news article that said the, the man who built Galway. So growing up, I always wanted to be in construction. I always wanted to to go that way. I was working on building sites as a laborer, as a, you know, just a gopher, basically move this from here to there. And um, when I kind of got to 17, um, the you, you won't believe the, the advice that they gave me instead of, they, they basically said, don't ever start a construction business. It's too, it's too risky. It's too hard. What you want to do is you want to go client owner side of the equation so go to university and then go on the client side it's more you know predictable you're you'll you know you'll get probably even get paid more if you're doing it right um and so i went to university um then finished university and masters and all that good stuff and then went traveling and so over the next essentially almost 20 years, I ended up working for 12 out of the top 30 largest construction companies in the world. And candidly, I got to the stage where I was seeing so many contractors going out of business because they didn't understand how to work their contracts at all. So they'd lose money, they'd go out of business. And it was my job to design these strategies on these bigger companies' side 
on essentially cost reducing strategies. How can we save money by managing our contracts better? How can we save money by procuring contractors in a different way? So essentially designing the system for these larger construction companies. And so it got to the stage where I was not enjoying my work at all. It was, I was just seeing too many, honestly, it was almost in the hundreds of construction companies that went out of business. And I eventually felt that my grandfather wouldn't have been proud with the way I was dealing with the construction, the, the input into the construction industry. Because your job was basically so, to, to to screw over the little guy a little bit. I mean, is that is that too simplistic pretty much to say? Like it, it wasn't. It wasn't as um, hardcore as we're going to screw over the little guy. It was, you know, here's our process. If you don't follow the process, that's it. You don't follow it. You don't get paid. There's no leeway. There's no scope for like. Let's have a chat. It's you don't do it. You you don't get paid. And so, so many of these guys wouldn't do it because they don't know how to do it essentially. And so then what I I realized was that what I could do was I could start up this business that would help the general contractors, subcontractors on that side, because I knew exactly how the insides of these larger companies worked. I knew what they were looking for. I knew how to get stuff in the door and, you know, come out the other side with money in your back pocket. And the, the problem for me is I knew it was going to cost a lot of money. And I got offered this um, role to do to work for Shell, the oil and gas company, and on a huge construction project in Iraq. And they wanted to award contracts to hundreds of contractors and then manage manage the costs um, over you know a four or five year period. And they wanted me to come in essentially to do that. Now, for obvious reasons, nobody wanted to do it. It was supposed to be a six-month gig, and I ended up staying there for two years. And with the two years, that's kind of essentially how I managed to fund Quantum. Mm. Um, and so Quantum is is my business. Is is We help contractors negotiate better contracts on the, in the front end. And in the back end, we help them with their post-awards to support, all their contractual letters, all of their extensions of time, change orders, all of that sort of stuff uh, to make sure that their cash flow is better and they get paid. And now, fast forward to today, we're 40 plus staff. We're in the US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. Um, and yeah, we've won a, a, an array of awards for innovation, um, which has been pretty cool. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. What, what did being on the inside teach you about the game of contracts? That's a very unique vantage point you'd have on this that... I certainly don't, and I think a lot of our listeners don't have. So it is absolutely, like the first thing people need to know, it is a game. And the problem is a lot of people don't want to play the game. But the thing is, you are, the game is being played whether you want to play or not, right? So if you decide you're not playing, well, what you're really saying is, I'm actually just going to be terrible at this game, right? right? That's actually what you're saying. And so because these these companies have like very robust corporate governance. It means that there's a lot of boxes to tick. There's no evil master plan. There's no one person that's saying, oh, we're not going to pay this guy for whatever reason. There's a guy on that side who needs to tick a box that says, are these guys contractually compliant? Did they submit their change order within the right amount of time? Did they submit the notice for the change order? Yes or no? 
no, not paid. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Right? It doesn't matter how much work you've done on site or what you've done. If you've not done the paperwork the right way, then because that guy on their side, he has to turn around to sometimes what is called a contracts committee. And he has to present a change to them. It, could, it, could, it might be like, you know, the head of legal, the head of projects, the head of whatever. And he has to come in with a document saying, okay, this, this guy's coming in and um, there's a change to the project and blah, blah, blah. You know, here, here it is. It's going to equate to 500 grand, a million dollars. Um, and I suggest that we approve it because he's complied with everything. That's the best way. But if he's not able to say that, if he said that there's no documents, their backup is terrible, um, then they're just going to reject it. Full stop. Now, we most of our listeners are not doing massive multi-year projects for Shell. They're not working with huge, you know, um, conglomerates, or they're not working mm-hmm. with you know twelve of the thirty biggest contractors in the world. They're working with a homeowner who's paying them to fulfill a service, uh, or they're mm-hmm. working for a general contractor. Uh, who's being paid by you know some other end user? Does mm-hmm. what you've learned and what we're going to talk about today still make sense for this kind of this smaller scale of uh, of business and and uh, and environment? Yeah, absolutely. So, of in in quantum, most of our clients would work for a GC. So they'd be a sub trade, there'd be a, a subcontractor, material supplier, or indeed a GC. So anyone who's down the chain. So what's happened in the industry over the last 15, 20 years is that the Baines of the world, the McKinsey's have all come into these GCs and they've they've basically processedized the whole thing to say, you need to push the risk down the way. And so what was happening on those larger construction companies, which are very successful for a reason, remember that, um, now these smaller companies are all doing because the, it's a trickle-down technology effect. All of this corporate governance is now easily implemented via... Uh, contract management systems that are in place that you know I could I could list three or four that you'd probably even know. Yeah. Okay. Very very good point there, and I I just want to make sure that the the listener kind of understands this the stuff we're talking about is very fundamental, and I think a lot of the same dynamics are happening between one of the biggest companies in the world and they're also equally as massive subcontractor as it is for the general contractor who's hiring a drywaller. Like it's it, these dynamics are are basically identical, are they not? It's exactly the same. Yeah. Can you actually give us a, a definition? a first principles explanation on a very fundamental of, of what a contract even is. I mean, I think a lot of us has a have an image in our mind of a piece of paper that two parties sign off on. It includes a handshake, mm-hmm. an agreement, but just get, 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 help us understand what this is in a very uh, simplified way. Essentially, it's an agreement just between me and you, right? So we, you want me to do something um, and I want to do it for you. Now we also have to agree. Well, how are we going to go about doing it, right? It, I just I don't have free reign to go and just do it however way I want and just not tell you about anything. There's certain ways that we agree that we we want to do it. So that's what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, and then that's that's it. That's it. What we're going to do, how we're going to do it, and then how much is going to cost, and then the the time frame as well. That's that's all we're laying out. It's it's a it's a series of instructions. Um, and, and agreements, that's it. Now, the only other thing to consider is just technically, right? It, it, it sits under law. So there's the law 
which is like the top line, imagine. And that says, here's all the stuff that you can and can't do legally. That's what the law is, right? There's a series of acts in different states and whatever. Un- so your your contract just needs to be compliant with the law. That's all. And so it almost makes it down into a tiny little, easy to understand, everything should already comply with the law. And there, so you just read your contract, that's it. What am I supposed to do? What's the way I'm supposed to do it? When do I need to complete? How much is it going to cost? Okay, do we agree all of that? Fine. That's it. Mm-hmm. Nothing mm-hmm. more than that. Mm-hmm. Perfect. When you work with uh, as many contractors as you have, you would have you'd, you'd be able to see you know a, a lot of the real mistakes that make you you know facepalm or like slap your forehead or just kind of <laughs> feel sorry for the person making these errors. What are some of the most common blind spots, the most common pitfalls, common misconceptions, common blunders that you see happening when it comes to contracts? So the 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 number one thing I would say is that people think they can't negotiate their contracts. That's the the biggest one going. And so why this is such a blind spot is, you know, it's the smaller construction companies or the less experienced construction companies. So someone who's been around the game a little bit more understands this. But the the younger construction companies will say, well, if I don't try and negotiate, they're going to give the work to somebody else. That is the general consensus. Now, why that's not true and having been on the other side of the table, the game is... I'm going to give you my worst possible contract as a starting point, fully expecting you to negotiate because there's going to be backup clauses I have for every single section of the contract. So I'm going to have, you know, if you say this, then I can drop down to this. If you say this, I can drop down to this. So every GC will have that. And so they're going to give you their worst contract. They're going to be able to move on some stuff and they're happy to move. That's just their opening you, move, though. That's their opening, like in a it. chess game. Like this is, the, they're, they're they know that they're going to have to do a few moves after this, but they're saying, "Hey, you know what? Let's open with this and see what happens." That's it. It's a dance, and if they accept it, happy days, right? We just they've just taken all the risk from us, and it's made us, you know, risk not risk free, but uh, we've moved a lot of risk from us onto them. Do people think they can't because they're because they're scared to ask? Is it a is it a scarcity mindset thing because they're they're worried they'll lose the work, or is it more like a technical knowledge thing where they it's literally never occurred to them that they could? It's both of those things, Benji. So most of the time is they're 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 scared. I've won this project, or I might be, I might win this project. Last thing I want to do is try be difficult, right? And so the difficult part of it is, is, is just not true. So having been on that side, if there's five people bidding for a particular job, most of the time, three or four will try and negotiate the contract. And maybe one doesn't. And when you look at that one that didn't try to negotiate, that's a red flag. It's not, we don't think that you're easier to deal with. We think you've not played at this level before. You're not, you, you know, this is your first time at the rodeo. And so by not negotiating, you actually look less professional. It looks like you don't know what you're doing. Whereas if you go the other way and you're very selective on what you're trying to negotiate, you make good good cases why these things are important to your business and whatever, then all of a sudden you look really professional. And then you can honestly, like our average success rate, and I only say this to, to, to just demonstrate that it is possible to negotiate at, from over 4,000 contracts that we've negotiated, our average 
success rate of the changes we put forward is 82%. So huh. if what we try to negotiate, 82% gets across the line. That's and four I'm out of five things. Just, four out of uh, five yeah, items, just, you guys get what you want. Pretty much, yeah. Mm. And so just so you know, right, that you can negotiate and you should negotiate. That's the, probably the biggest misconception. That's really interesting to me. Uh, I, I, I guess I guess the fear... Uh, runs rampant for a smaller, younger, more novice, more junior contractor. They're worried that, you know, the, the bigger GC is not going to like them. But but the, the reverse is actually true. If they just kind of go in uh, eyes shut, they're totally blind to the realities of the situation. They say all sounds good. From the eyes of the larger GC, it's like, man, we just gave them the shittiest deal ever and they took it. This is this is a red mm. flag. Let's actually not move forward because they probably have no idea what's happening here. Yeah, can they? They can they? Like you know, I mean, the, the other side of the table was that's a red flag. But I remember when we were doing putting all of these contracts together. If someone came in way lower, if their bid was way lower than everybody else, that's not a thumbs up. Right. That's a oh, they've made a mistake here. And it's totally. the same with the contracts. It's like oh no, they've did oh no, this is the type of person. We do. Are you sure you don't want to negotiate? You sure that's it? You're fine with a contract? That, that'll be a conversation that you'd ring up and you go, you, you didn't accidentally not submit something? Yeah, it says it says something about the subcontractor's experience level. And then I think the other thing too is like on a big enough contract, if you're doing a, you know, we have some, we have many subcontractors in Breakthrough Academy who'll be doing a few hundred thousand dollars of work on one project, mm -hmm. if they've botched, if they've not read the terms and condition, they could literally bankrupt themselves on that one project. And then you, the GC, are looking for a new drywaller, looking for a new plumber, and looking for a new whatever midway through the job. So it actually makes a ton of sense that, that you know, your perception, your fear that you have totally backfires in this instance. What's What are some other you know, common mistakes or, or pitfalls here just, just while we're talking about this? Well, just to lead to that one. So um, the, the next one, I think, is a lot of people think oh, what you're talking about is just for big stuff. It's for like big contracts, big values. And when I have a big contract, then I'll, I'll, I'll do this stuff. I'll get into the contracts. And so what I always encourage people who are looking at contracts is, I am almost sure if uh, you know you mentioned drywallers or GC. If you get a if you get some drawings, right, your your average layman can't really read those drawings that well, right. So you're an expert. You can go into drawing. You can find out oh, here's the internal wall and whatever. You can understand it really really well. And so that's just one document that you. But you're still not an architect or an engineer, are you? And so you can still understand those drawings. And the contract is the very same. A lawyer drafts it, but you still need to be able to understand what is in it. It's very important to do that. And so you don't have to be a pro at it. You just need to understand it. And so the, the next thing that is a big problem is people think that my contract's too, too small, the value's too low, and therefore I don't need to negotiate it. It's fine. I can just mm. go ahead. Mm. Uh, but that's not true. The, the the actual reality of it is, is the risk is still as high. They still have those rough uh, sections in the contract, which are can potentially put you out of business, can potentially set you up to lose money. And it's about the downside. So Warren Buffett always talks about protecting your downside. Number one, don't lose money. Refer to rule number two, two is refer to rule number one. And so 
when something goes wrong, do you want it to go badly wrong for your company or do you want it just to be a little blip and then you continue to grow as a company? That's the whole purpose of negotiating all of these contracts and understanding what you're in. Right, right. Um, this whole theme of, it's funny you mentioned the the limiting your downside thing. We've had a whole bunch of experts on literally this week as you've been shooting and I don't know what it is, if it's just the season for it or if it's on everyone's mind, but this whole idea of, of of limiting those huge, massive trajectory changing losses for your company being more important than always hitting the jackpot or always hitting a home run seems to be something mm -hmm. we're talking a lot about right now for whatever reason. Um, any other mistakes before I move on? Yes, the other one that people raise with us all the time is, oh, well, I just I just sign a standard contract. I sign a, a standard AIA or whatever standard contract you're dealing with in your country or your state or whatever. And the problem with standard contracts, a standard contract on its own that you've been issued to sign is the best contract you will ever get, right? Mm -hmm. So if you get a standard contract, you sign that contract as quick as you can, basically. However, of those 4,000 contracts that we've reviewed, next to none have been standard. What actually happens is you get a standard templated contract and it's been amended by a lawyer. And so what you actually receive is a contract that looks like a standard contract. The template is of a standard contract, but they've amended it to make it what we call a hostile contract, which just puts it back into the boat of difficult contract you have to negotiate. Do they do that on purpose? Do they use the template to make it look innocent and innocuous and then they kind of sneak in the fangs later on? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It sounds that sounds that there's a you know there's a there's a puppet master up there. Yeah. But I think it it just um, people are used to that template contract. So if they get given that template contract, they're not they don't run away. Where if they get given this brand new contract that's 100 pages, they're like, right, I'm this is scary. I'm not reading this. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's 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 really good. Um, these are all really good little things to just park away in our brains and and be aware of here. Um, I wanted to have you on and and talk about, uh, you know, I, I love doing episodes where we're able to give listeners value quickly and just kind of provide some quick hit improvements that they can make to, uh, to the contract game in their in their business. So. I think we had, I think you, had, you, you laid out three things. I, I'm going to need you to explain sort of how they all work and interconnect me. You mentioned termination, limit of liability, and, and consequential loss. So why don't you just speak about uh, termination first, unpack that one, then we'll move on to the next one and, and so on. Yeah. Just before that, I, um, I'd like to just give <laughs> give your listeners, because it's so important. Like our mission is to, is to help um, contractors stop being bullies getting pushed around um, and ultimately stay in business over the long term. And so with that, here's, here's a quick way to not work with quantum, right? Here's how not to work with quantum. What you can do is for a one-time fee, you go to a really good construction lawyer, right, in your market. And you go into him and you say to him, look, what I want to do is I want to draw up a set of commercial principles, Right, And you take in the worst contract, the biggest contract you've ever been given, and you sit down with him, and I want a stance. Where do I stand on each one of these clauses? Right, Explain, okay, my, as a company, here's where I stand, here's where I stand. Then that's going to produce a document for you. Right, This is where I stand on this thing, and that you call that your commercial principles. 
Then in future, when you're submitting your proposals, your bids, your agreements, whatever you call them, you want to attach this commercial principles document and say, my price is subject to agreement of our commercial principles document, as in agreement to these terms and conditions. Now, I'll tell you how this actually plays out. It doesn't mean that they're going to accept all of those, but it means all of a sudden there's a negotiation and you're in much, much better position to say, hey, I, I submitted that document to say that all of these things comply. Uh, okay, I, I understand you don't accept them all, but we need to agree because that's what my price was based on. Or else I'll have to increase my price a little bit, whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's a very strong strategy that you can implement pretty quickly for not too much money and it'll make a huge difference to your risk profile. And, and good, uh, no, do you know Keith right Cunningham? There. Yeah, I know Keith Cunningham. Yeah, so he's got a book called Don't The Road Less Stupid. And, and yeah. one of the things in The Road Less Stupid is limiting the downside. And this, this is one of those things where if you did that, implemented it into your business, you would limit your downside by a long, long way. And um, yeah, implementing that make a huge difference. And then specifically when we're looking at like the three items you must negotiate in every contract one one that is the termination clause or clauses or sections so basically open up your contract go to the termination section and what you're looking for is they will have a load of ways that they can terminate you from the contract right for default default is basically i didn't do what i was promised to do that's pretty fair if you didn't do what they ask you to do they should be able to terminate you convenience is that term is convenience is a tricky one that this mightn't bother you so much depending on the type of, of customer you are. Um, but termination for convenience is them terminating you for any reason, really. So it it's not good for companies that are easy to terminate, like scaffolders, for example, someone that's easy to be replaced. That's termination for convenience is not a good thing. It's fine, realistically, for someone who has stuff in the ground and it's difficult to terminate. Right. Just just so you know, okay? But what you're looking for is how do you terminate them? So many contracts are silent on you terminating them. And what you need to be able to do is you need to be able to terminate them if they default on the contract, which means they don't pay you. That's the reality. So what you don't want to find yourself in a situation, and we're seeing this a lot at the moment, there's a lot of construction companies out of, going out of business, is that they don't pay you in month one and then you have to keep working. And now you're in month two. You've incurred another month of expenses without getting paid. And then they don't pay you in month two again. And you're trapped in that contract and you can't get out. What you want to be able to do is you want to be able to terminate the contract straight away. You didn't pay me. I'm gone. Straight away. That's very important. Because otherwise they'll say, well, you're, you weren't, you're supposed to keep working on site. And you left. And therefore you defaulted on the contract. So we're not paying you anyway. So either way, you're not getting paid. You're just trying to spend less time screwing around on their job site, and you can go on, exactly. go and get your crew, get your get your team on a job site working for a client that will pay. So this isn't you're not the the point of having your own uh, your own terms for termination is so that you can essentially have clean exits when you're working with a larger GC who's really screwing you around. Yeah, a hundred percent. You can just go right. I'm gone. You didn't pay me. I'm gone. And you could do that. You could do that legally, basically. Whereas a lot of times you can't just walk off site. And is that one of those things that fits into the eighty-two percent of things you get across the finish line? Like our larger Termina GCs. Yeah. You, so all you're for asking that, for in that scenario is reciprocal termination. 
You're saying, right. hey, you you can terminate me for X, Y, and Z. I want to be able to terminate you for the same. Is 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 that not fair? It is fair. So we'll get we'll, we'll most of the time get that across the line. So when you talk to people that work uh, like operate a lot on the commercial space, you know it's a it's slower to get paid than than it is when you're working for directly for a homeowner, and you hear people getting paid net thirty, net sixty, net ninety. Eventually, they do get a paycheck, but it's put many businesses, uh, you know, into bankruptcy, and it's put many more mm-hmm. on the brink. Um, th- what's happening is that this little clause that you're talking about is not in there, and that's how they end up in these situations. Well, there's there's a couple of different things. <laughs> I can go really deep into this, right? But firstly, that's this is damage control. You want to go? You haven't paid me. I'm gone. I'm not incurring any more money, and I'm going to chase the money that you owe me, right? Yeah, that's the first thing. So you're just cutting your losses straight away, and you're gone. The other thing is from a cash flow. So most construction companies don't go out of business like with a bang, right? They they get gently choked. It's 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 they don't die of starvation. They die of indigestion, and that's cash flow. And one of the main cash flow issues is the first one is your business model. So your business model is you do a lot of work and then they'll pay you 60, 90, 80 days later, right? The best business model in construction is you pay me uh, upfront payments to secure materials. You pay me in milestones and then I'll continue to do maintenance over the longer period of time. So that's the best model. That's what you, whatever model you're in there, you kind of eventually want to be shifting to that model somehow. And so that model would give you far better cash flow throughout the whole project rather than just doing work now and not getting paid for 60, 90 days. The second thing is you're not getting your changes and your delays in very, very quickly. So if you ask me to do additional work, I want to get the change in and approved really quickly so that I can invoice for it. What I don't want to do is I, want to, I don't want to find myself in a situation where I've done this work essentially for free and then don't get paid for it. So then it takes them three to maybe it takes them six weeks to approve it. And then after the six weeks, then you got your 60, 90 day terms. So you don't get paid for it for a long, long period of time. So all the different ways you can make your cash flow better, it makes a big difference to staying in business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When in doubt, the further out in front of the project, you can wait the payments. Generally, the better off you are, just as a super simple rule of thumb. I mean, it's probably obvious yes. to listeners, but a lot of people don't do it. So it's worth mentioning. Uh, Kian, the second thing you said every single contractor should negotiate on every single contract uh, is this thing called limit of liability. Why didn't you unpack that for us? Yeah, so so this is this is most contracts have unlimited liability. And so they can essentially, if something happens, depending on what it is, if something happens, they can come after you and they can sue you basically for, let's just say the, the contract value is, is only is 200K, 100K, right? So, and this is like one of those smaller values that we talked about with, with uh, the drywaller, right? You get a 100K job, right? But your business is worth a couple of million. They can sue you for... The, the whole amount, the 2 million, 3 million even, even more than your, what your business is worth when you have unlimited liability. When you cap your liability at the contract value, you're saying that the most, we agree that the most you can come after me for, if anything happens, is the contract value, which is 100 grand. So you've, in theory, in that scenario, you've almost reduced your risk, I don't know, by a factor of whatever it was, five, five more. And so that makes a difference. That's another one of the road less stupid, Keith Cunningham. So the downside, if something does happen, they can only come after you for the contract value, not mm. 
a, a much, much larger amount. Not okay, your so entire that's network. one of those things that if you're, if you, let's just say that only happens once in your construction career over a 20, 30 year period, it still has the liability to wipe you out. Yeah. And so you always want to be negotiating that down to the contract value. Yeah, totally. It only That's a good point. It only takes one to wipe you out. I mean, what we're talking about here is a catastrophic, you know, event to any business. And, and this limit of liability thing basically puts an upper threshold uh, above which, you know, the GC you're working for just simply can't go after you for. Um, yeah. 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 Cool. I mean, so we we saw this recently with a, with a company. They they were doing uh, pipes in a in a, a desalination plant, and um, there was something wrong with the pipes. There's some sort of I don't know. I, I they, they use some crazy terminology, but some sort of germs got into the pipe and then it spread all, all the pipes, and then all of a sudden the whole plant was shut down. And so, okay, so they're like, okay, well, we're, we're not sure who's at fault or what happened or was it installed wrong? And there's a big argument over that. But in theory, let's just say they were wrong. They, will, they, they would have to replace the pipes. But the impact is the whole plant got shut down for, I don't know, how many, like, how many months and the big impact. So they could be sued for Way millions more. in theory yeah. if they didn't have this limit of liability uh, clause in their contract. Do GCs have a hard time stomaching that though? Because you know, if you if you were the if you're the GC in the in the in the example that you just gave, you know, you wouldn't be very happy. You'd you'd want you'd want to extract a little bit more. So, is this one of the ones that you have maybe a lower success rate getting across? Or no, no, this one isn't. This one's pretty standard. So people yeah. expect this. Mm. People expect this one. This is one where they're like, yeah, they're, they're, they've hit me for that one. That's fine. I understand that one. So, you know, you might have to negotiate on how much liability you're willing to take. Is it, you know, you might start off with, I want half the contract value, and then you might agree on the actual contract value, or maybe you have to go a little bit above the contract okay. value. But regardless, right. there's negotiation there. Right. You can go back and forth you on just where the threshold is. You can go back and forth on where the threshold is. You, yeah, you just don't want it to be no ceiling, no cap. They can do whatever they want okay cool tell me about this consequential loss one right so this is the one let me give you that so this that's a fancy name don't worry about the fancy name essentially means loss of profit so imagine benji you engaged me to build a hotel for you right and so i was like yeah sure i'll build you i'll build you a hotel and i'm late it's definitely my fault i've made a mistake 100 it's my fault now, everyone, most people know what liquidated damages mean, right? So liquidate, if you don't, liquidated damages is, is, a, is, a, is an amount, a, pre, a genuine pre-estimate that I have to pay you back for me being late in building the project. So mm. because I'm late, all the other subcontractors are late, and I've delayed everybody, and I've delayed it to the cost of the construction project. Now, consequential damages or consequential loss is your loss of profit from not being able to rent out the hotel rooms. Got it. Okay. So that's the difference between the two of them. The consequential loss is super dangerous because if you're a small company, let's just say you're, let's just use your drywall example. You're a drywaller and you're in bed with a, a general contractor who's a bigger company, mm-hmm. right? His loss of profit might be the size of your company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, then that's another what we call company ender. Ender, and back to the Keith Cunningham thing. If you can limit your downside, then when something bad happens, that it's only a little blip. It's not a massive sets you back five, ten years, or puts you out of business. They're the type of things that we're trying to um, help with. 
This is uh, this is basically the knock-on effects of your mistakes, and if your mistakes cost the larger GC you're working for profits, and if you're working, if you're like this little fish and you're working for this massive whale, it doesn't take much to to completely wipe you out. And I think you know there's 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 an interesting comment here about just like a broader awareness of the environment that you work in. You know, there are companies big and small. Um, uh, there are d- different dynamics between different trade partners. You are a part of a much longer chain of events in many cases that needs to happen to bring this larger thing to a finish line. And it's like, you know, you probably, I, I wonder if you could comment on this. Does it seem like a lot of, a lot of contractors don't, they just don't realize sort of the broader context that they sit within. They don't they may they maybe have some awareness of the person that came in before and the person that came in after, but maybe don't mm-hmm. see the whole scope of it. Yeah, a hundred percent. They don't see the 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 mechanics behind the whole project. Right. Like yeah. it's it's almost like you'd almost like to see a massive org chart of mm-hmm. who's doing what. You know, this 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 subcontractor is doing this, this subcontractor is doing this, reports into this PM, reports into the project director or the whatever the cost controller like there's there's a lot of people that you know that are um involved and a lot of different parties that are involved all of mm-hmm. the time right and if you delay some if you de- if you're late you're there's a knock-on effect it's like a ripple yeah. effect like a butterfly effect so termination limit of liability consequential loss three things you should start negotiating in your contract uh to reduce your risk this has been great Kian. any closing wisdom for our listeners here I would suggest just do an exercise because a lot of people will think that okay, right, contracts, you know, um, it's 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 difficult, it's hard. I I don't need to, uh, not going to do it basically, or they just you know, it's not something that's important. But just do an exercise, even if if you're a subcontractor or a trade partner, or 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 even a, like a, a GC, just look at the biggest guy in in your industry. Just go have a look at him. And try and figure out, is that have they got a reputation for being contractual or professional, right? They almost always do. And people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, they're very good, but they're really switched on. Or And what they mean is, oh, they're quite contractual. They're going to bang you with a change. They're strict. They're going to hit you with blah, blah, blah. So, and that's yeah. it. And so yeah. people think, oh, I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to be easy to work with. I'm going to be like, a, and what that actually means is, Great, we're gonna walk right walk over all you. over you. Yeah, exactly. That is exactly what that means. I'm gonna be easy to work with. Is basically yeah. is basically an inexperienced person's language for I'm gonna be absolutely taken to the bank and rinsed out and stepped on from now until the end of time. <laughs> yes, that's it. So don't be that that's guy. There's nothing yeah, wrong with being be a little rigid. There's nothing wrong with being rigid or that girl, I should say. There's nothing wrong with being strict, setting standards. And I think these are three really great practical places to start. Hey, Kian, uh, we're out of time here, but w- where can people connect with you if they want to dig a little deeper into this subject matter? Yeah, so we I've got a podcast called Construction Secrets. or um, So you can find Construction Secrets or you can – I've got a YouTube channel called Kian Brennan, so C-I-A-N Brennan. And all I chat about is the money side of construction. So it's everything to do with making more money, um, all of the mistakes and lessons learned from you know the the many many uh, contractors subcontractors that we've worked with. Um, so hopefully, just by listening to that, you'll be, be wise. And my definition of wise is 
to not have to go through not to to get the lesson from from the fight without having to get the scar mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i love that so well said man thank you for your time today um really really great conversation around uh around some practical easy to implement stuff we don't need any more company enders and i think uh I think this is a really useful chat we just had. So, guys, check out Kian. I'll, I'll link his stuff in the description below. And uh, thank you for your time today. We'll do this again soon. Take it easy, Benji. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of Contractor Evolution. Uh, if you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it.